Hey, happy new year, everybody. We hope you're having a happy, safe, healthy start to your 2022. Let's make it better than 2021. Uh, but that would mean there's going to be some baseball this year if it's going to be better than last year. Uh, I know some people didn't think the Cleveland former Cleveland Indians had a great year. And uh, some people aren't happy about the Cleveland Guardians. But at least there was baseball last year. And right now, we don't know if that's going to happen. But um, even if that's not going to happen and we don't know when it's going to happen, we're going to keep talking baseball because that's what we do. We have nothing else to do. Uh, I'm Justin Latta. I'm joined by Willie Hood. Willie, how is your new year so far? Are you excited about baseball or are you still you know, I, I don't know, apathetic? I'm locking out MLB and I think I'm just going to lock it in on minor league baseball from now on. I mean, it's either that or I'm just going to sit and watch stuff on the Roku channel all day. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, except for 2020 when there was no season until after the draft, this is the most I think I've ever talked draft with you in January. I know you and our buddy Jared are always talking draft, and usually I'm like, oh, that guy seems good. Um, and usually it's not until like a month before, but except for you know July when all we had to do was talk about the draft in 2020, this is the most I've ever talked draft, which it's a good thing, but I'd really like to get excited about you know, a trade or a free agent signing or, or some sort of rumor um, before, you know, I'm talking draft that's six months away. That's just where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe how low I've stooped to just watching some of these shows on the Roku channel just because I'm bored and there's no baseball news. I am shocked, frankly, how much I'd actually paid attention to all the baseball news and stuff. And now there's nothing. I'm just like, please, something, anything. <laughs> anything. And, and then, you know what I get? I get Bob Saget died. I get Betty White died. And then I get John Madden died. Oh, man. And I'm like, help me, please. Anything. Man. We need some good news. Okay. I, I was just saying, we hope we're having, everyone's having a great start to 2022. And we just brought them yeah. all down with that depressing talk right there. My bad. Uh, Didn't mean to go that direction. I don't you know, practice professionally as a counselor or anything, nor do, nor am I a crisis counselor. See the bridge, you're standing on it. Well, I mean, if you really want to jump, if you're dumb enough to do it, I'm dumb enough to watch you. <laughs> That'll be me. I'm, I'm the one jumping. <clears throat> well, not yet. Not until we get to next month and there's no, uh, there's no deal in sight for baseball. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter, you know, because, Look, we're, we're going to be watching minor league baseball next year, whether the major league teams are playing in April or not, because um, except for top prospects, you know, and then fortunately for Cleveland, there's a lot of, of their best prospects right now are on the 40. So that might dampen things a little bit, but there's still going to be plenty of guys to watch in Lake County. MILB TV still exists for Akron and Lynchburg, which is good. So the train will keep rolling. Um Let's let's get into the, the topic that we wanted to talk about first today, real quick. Um, somebody brought this up, and I, I apologize because I don't remember who it was, but uh, we got a tweet right at the end of taking questions for our last podcast in 2021, and they had asked, you know, if we would talk about the Francisco Lindor trade a year later. And I wrote something on that today, so if you haven't been over to GuardiansBaseballInsider.com, you can check out. I did a whole column on breaking down where things have gone with the trade a year later for both sides, and all the players involved, but I also put some aspects into the fans and the market um, as far as trades and the lockout too. So do, go take a look at that. But um, I don't know, Willie, a year later, how do you feel about Let's look, look at the first component of the trade that we know the most about is uh, Ahmed Rosario. So how do you feel like things went down moving on from Lindor and essentially and I know he started the year in the outfield and he played, but he still played most of the year at shortstop. He had the most games at shortstop for Cleveland a year ago. It's a med Rosario. How do you feel that uh, the transition ended up going for them? Well, first of all, I want to throw out the piece that you wrote because I think that was a good piece and a good write up on the whole trade. And you covered it from both angles uh, as far as Cleveland side of it and also the component from the Mets. So if you didn't check out Justin's piece and no, Justin didn't ask me to plug this, 
I'm doing it on my own. Uh, check out Justin's piece on, on the website today. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, overrated. Um, I think too many people think that he's going to be the future, or, or too many people think that Cleveland is seriously committed to him in some way. I, Not an everyday – well, maybe I shouldn't say that he's not an everyday player. He He's an everyday average player, but don't make him out to be more than what he is is what I'm really trying to say. Not a very good defender. I remember telling someone that he sucks defensively, and then he booted the ball twice right after I told the person that. And he was asking me why I didn't like him as a shortstop. And then, you know, two errors right after I said that. Um, I don't think the bat fits in a corner outfield spot. I don't know how he would transition to second base. He would think naturally, but it, that hasn't always been the case with guys moving over from short to second. Uh, I think he will eventually be traded by Cleveland, possibly at the deadline. Um, he's a good stopgap bridge type of player. No long-term commitment needed or required with him. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, that's that's not a... People are going to look at the batting average and say, well, he had 282. That's really good. Um, that's fine. You know, that 282 is the best, second best of his career. It was it was the second best season of his major league career. So it's not like he didn't have a bad season, but um, he's just not a long-term fit. So I I thought him in the trade was was fine, considering, like you said, a stopgap, um, only being 25 at the time when they got him. And, you know, he had a fine year. It's not like he had a bad year. I think he is – I think we know he's a major league hitter. He has a spot on a major league roster. But um, even if Cleveland didn't have a bunch of shortstop options, I still think he's just not, not a fit for them long term because, like you said, defensively he's not a shortstop long term, um, which is weird because he was graded out as a good defender in the minors. That just hasn't translated. And the, the batting average is empty. I mean, the 321 on base, that's not bad, but, um, you know, it just says he doesn't walk enough and he's got speed, but, you know, it's, you know, it's hard to, if you're, if you're batting average dependent, that means you're batting average on balls and play dependent. You know, if you have bad luck with, uh, with BABIP, then your average is going to tank. And if you know the walks to support it, your OBP is going to drop with it. And there's limited power. Um, I, I give I give the team credit for trying to put him in center field. I think I think they were trying to force an answer because Andre. The only reason they did it is for they did it for two reasons. They did it because um, Bradley Zimmer and, and Oscar Mercado just didn't seem to be taking control of a center field position in spring training. And then Andre Jimenez was having such a great spring training, they thought they were going to break camp with him, and they did. So they tried to force an answer with Rosario in center field, which is where he probably would have been a better defensive fit, but that didn't work out. And then, you know, Jimenez didn't hit, so they moved him back to shortstop. I don't know. It just seemed like a weird fit. I know someone else on Twitter said today they got two shortstops, which makes no sense. And it, it was kind of odd at the time. They got two middle infielders, you know, in the trade. Maybe at the time they weren't expecting to sign Cesar, re-sign Cesar, Hernandez, I guess, you know, at the time they hadn't done that. So maybe that's part of it. And I read somewhere um, and, and it was purely speculative, um, but it was that the Mets wanted to move on from Rosario, that they'd become frustrated with him. Um, also that they had tried him or wanted to try him in center field. And that was, seemed to be a no go. I, I think maybe he was at the end of his rope in New York uh, or maybe he wasn't the player that they wanted him to be and wanted to cash in then. And maybe that was their way of, Hey, we want to get this deal. If we're going to make this deal and we're going to take on the salaries because it was about moving money and getting some sort of return for Cleveland. Um, when you look at that, you could also say, or try to add on with money moved. What did Cleveland do with the money that they moved in this deal? Obviously they saved a lot of it didn't spend a lot of it, but they also did turn some of that back into Hernandez, um, who they eventually traded for Connor Pilkington. So you could expand the trade a little bit in that way. That's true. Um, it, it was interesting though, getting two guys, Gimenez or yeah, Gimenez, he, he can play shortstop and he can play 
second base. Uh, and he's a quality defender, I think, at either one. Um, I think we'll see more of that next year. You know, I, I think he did have some encouraging signs, and he looked good when he came up with the Mets initially. So I don't know if it was a sophomore slump or he was pressing and trying to do too much, wanted to impress his new organization or exactly what it was. But that's the thing with young players is you never know what you're going to get. And that's why a lot of teams, particularly Terry Francona, has leaned heavily on veterans because you can be, you can predict better what kind of results you're going to get from them because they have a longer track record. Yeah, I mean, Jimenez was was only 20 years old when he, I'm sorry, 21, when he made his major league debut with the Mets in 2020, and he skipped AAA, um, and he was coming up to the majors after being at the alternate site, not, you know, not actually playing in a real environment, so that's tough. Um, but he's constantly been young for the level, but I don't know, offensively, he seems a lot similar to Rosario. You know, there's some pop there. There's obviously speed, but he, you know, he strikes out at a, uh, a slightly below average rate and he doesn't walk a ton. So offensively, I feel like him and Rosario are similar. The only thing you get out of Jimenez is a little more is, is defense at shortstop and uh, being a left-handed hitter, which, you know, maybe it makes sense to just platoon those two, but they're both so young and you have no idea. I mean, you keep talking about Rosario, like he's, you know, old, but he's 26. He's going to play all of 2022 at 26 years old, which is, you know, still young. <clears throat> and he's, but he he does have um, over two thousand plate appearances. So I think at this point you kind of realize who he is. You know, in his career, we don't really know what Jimenez is going to be yet. He had the best season of his career, Triple A, um, this year after he got demoted. I don't know how much stock you can put into that because of Columbus being a hitter's park and um, you know reports about the ball being bouncy or juiced or how, whatever you want to say, the ball just being a weird, you know, weird state of flux um, in AAA. And, we, and we've seen a lot of guys mash AAA pitching, come up and can't hit major league pitching, of course. So um, he did, he did have a nice stint at the end of the year when he came back up, he started to hit a little bit more and find that confidence again. He did steal 11 bases. Um, I just don't know. It, it's it, it a year later. It looks like a strange fit because you know, now Gabriel Arias has, has kind of forced the question. And, you know, Tyler Freeman did get hurt this year, last year. So he's, um, I would guess he'll repeat double A to start. Brian Rocchio's finally made a name for himself. And, you know, you didn't get a whole lot of answers out of Owen Miller. Um, it just seems like, I know I know they tried to thread the needle again. And that's what they constantly try to do is thread this needle. You know, they re-signed Cesar Hernandez, who had a great 2020 with them. So he was a good fit. You know, and they and they signed Eddie Rosario, but in the process, you know, Owen Miller was hitting the crap out of the ball in AAA, and he got called up only because Framil Reyes got hurt, and then he struggled. So it's like you you still have, you know, Miller and Jimenez and and Arias and, and Rosario, these four guys who are all potentially major league starters or close to it, who are twenty six and younger. You don't really know if they're part of the future or not. So I think just getting those two guys in the trade and not and not seeing a full season from both of them. Like, well, Rosario didn't play a full season, but didn't exactly tell you he's part of the future with that, you know, with his performance. I think it just looks a little odd a year later. I think I'm, I'm guessing what Cleveland did is they took the best offer available. You know, I think that was their best offer, and it stinks they had to include Carrasco to get it, uh, which is as much about clearing money as it was the best return, but, you know, I think they, they got the best talent they couldn't in the, in a trade. And they just, you know, decided they would figure it out later. But I would say a year later, they didn't do a great job of figuring out what their future is in that trade, at least not short term, I should say. And I'll push back in that teams are able to look at these players' physicals when they're completing a trade or when they're, on the verge of completing a trade. And I wonder if there were some red flags on Carlos Carrasco. Obviously he had returned from leukemia, you know, months before that, or, or the, rather the season before that. Um, but I wonder if there were red flags because he has had Tommy John in the past. He was a post 30 pitcher mm-hmm. uh, with a, a good size contract. And if you look at the situation and 
kind of just draw back from it a look and look at the big picture. A lot of teams weren't going to take on money last off season and Cleveland was trying to get in front of that and move money. And, and that's what it was really motivated by was a move to get money, but also get some quality in return. Um, they did what they typically do in trades, which is get some guys that can help now, but also get a few guys that can help in the future. Yeah, the, the Carrasco thing does make sense from that standpoint. I think there's no doubt they were trying to get out from under that contract. Um, you know, it stinks as much as he was a, a very popular member of the city and, and the team, and he had signed two long-term extensions with them. And uh, he had, you know, for very bold, he had more very um, underrated value. He had more on-field value for Cleveland, kind of like Jose Ramirez has has more on-field value for Cleveland, and his value mm. for Cleveland is exponential. But just his name alone, you know, evokes emotion. And same thing with Carlos Carrasco; his name alone evokes emotion in Cleveland fans. And you know, the decision obviously wasn't a emotional one; it was one based on reason or logic um, and made out of necessity. They did. I mean, yeah. And, and Carrasco, not that they could have predicted this, but it, it, I don't know. Maybe they can, because look, they've traded Mike Clevenger. He got hurt and he was hurt, you know, at, at, at part of that year. Corey Kluber. Um, yeah. They, Corey Kluber got hurt. Now, obviously in 2019, they didn't know he was going to get hurt because he took a liner off his forearm. So that wasn't exactly predictable, but, you know, in 2020, he pitches one inning. And then last year, he was on the IL for New York as well. And then, you know, Carlos Carrasco has a hamstring tear in, in spring training. So it's not like they can – I'm sure they can't predict these injuries, but I think they look at, like you said, the physical and the innings and some metrics they, they have available. And they can probably see where the risk is coming. And, and I think most would say they traded Corey Kluber a year too late, which they probably I did, would say that. Yeah, but they couldn't. But they couldn't predict that he was going to hit by a line drive. No, no. But I was also one of the people who said that they should trade him. You you know, I mean, after twenty eighteen, yeah, I was one of the people saying, "Hey, trade him." I was also one of the crazy guys, Andrew Miller or Cody Allen or even Michael Brantley. You know, trade one or the other, and then keep one and let him walk in free agency or resign him. Is kind of where I was at with that. But um, all of that's Mm -hmm. kind of neither here nor there now. You know. Um, it, it's a tough situation for them having made this trade and, and we hindsight's always 2020. That's a benefit of always looking back on, on something. And then after the fact, you can, you can look, but I, I tend to look at this kind of like this deal is not done yet. What I mean when I say that is you've got two more young pieces in the minors. We don't know what Jimenez is going to be, and we know what Rosario is. And I say that because he's a 26-year-old, as you said, with 2,000 major league at-bats. And I think he's going to end up being traded or being part of a larger trade at some point in time. And it's a continuation of the Lindor trade for me, personally, kind of the way I think of it. I, I always thought that bringing the two of them in was sort of odd, but it wasn't always about keeping the two of them. And I think that's where you have to look right. with all of these shortstops in the system too, is it's one of the most valuable positions on the field. And I don't think that they eventually keep all of these guys. I mean, frankly, there's just not enough room for 14 infielders on a 40 man roster. <laughs> they're going to try though. One day, like, like Joe keeps saying one day, they're going to have a team just purely made of shortstops or former shortstops. That's going to happen at some point, but you have a good point about, you know, the trade wasn't necessarily about having both of them on the team. Cause remember we talked about it a lot. I think in, in February is there were rumors right away that it sounded like other teams were interested in Med Rosario. The Reds name came up that now nothing ever came up. Uh, yeah, nothing ever surfaced, too. but there was some smoke there. I, I think that was the idea. The Reds, and if you remember was, deals that they've made in the past, that, you know, they've tried to give themselves a variety of options. And I think that's exactly what they did. Did they intend on trading one or two of them? Um, we, I guess we could speculate because we heard Rosario linked to Cincinnati and we heard him linked to the athletics. So maybe they thought they could just turn around and flip him and then mm-hmm. didn't feel like they were getting the value that they should. Um, frankly, I think he increased his value with his play last year. But then again, you lost a season of, 
of play. So you're back where you kind of started with him. But I don't think the deal's done in that I do expect Ahmed Rosario is traded possibly this offseason, probably midseason, and I think they'll go with a younger guy and see what they've got, or they should in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if, if you ask me today, I would say that Ahmed Rosario is your shortstop on opening day. If if opening day was tomorrow, which thank goodness it's not because it's freezing here in Cleveland, but um, I mean, it might be freezing on March 31st if they're playing, which they probably won't be. But um, if, yeah, if you ask me that, if, if tomorrow is March 31st, I would say he's your starting shortstop unless there's a trade. Um, and, and you figure out second base between, you know, Jimenez and Owen Miller or, you know, some kind of platoon of both. But yeah, I, I mean, I still think a trades in his future. I, I think we know he's not the long-term answer here. I think between Rocchio and Arias and Freeman and, um, some other guys, I think they have more upside and uh, Rosario's obviously only has, you know, he's still got three more or two more years. So he's still here through next year. Um, that could bring them something back in the trade and, and it's limited value. We've talked in the past what he could go for, but so let's, you're right. The, the trade doesn't just end with, with these two playing here and ends with what you can do with them in the future. Well, let's say, um, uh, which is, let's you say know, we get into the season and Houston has signed somebody on a short-term contract and then their shortstop gets hurt. They come calling and, you know, we say, Hey, we want Corey Lee or we want somebody back that will help us soon. You know, I think we're in a strong position to make that sort of trade. And and frankly, um, I think you get similar value now as you would get mid season with the Rosario. Everybody knows what he is. I mean, he's not a great defender at shortstop. He can play it. And he's an adequate and he's an average player. Um, he's just not a major league shortstop on an everyday basis or not the mm-hmm. quality that you want at, uh, out of a major league shortstop on a daily basis. Agreed. Yeah. So that's where the major league thing kind of sits. We obviously decided there, it's obviously apparent that Rosario is only a short-term option. I don't know if it went as, I don't know. I guess it was as good as expected. I mean, it's not like Rosario had a great career in New York. He only had one really good season, and that was age 23. Um, so I would say Rosario's first year in Cleveland, Cleveland went pretty well. You know, obviously a step down from Lindor, which is funny because you remember how many times last year we saw certain people um, trying to say that Rosario was better than Lindor because he was having a better season. And then the season ends, and guess what? Lindor's numbers across the board for as bad as he was for a few months end up being better than Rosario. So stop letting people try to, I don't know, make go, go through mental gymnastics to tell you that um, Cleveland got the better of the trade, but let's be honest. Lindor is still a, an elite player. And for all the weird things that happened last year off the field or with teammates and drama, um, Lindor still had a better season last year. He's still an all-star player, even though he didn't. I don't think he made the all-star team last year. He's still an all-star talent, and I don't think I think it's safe to say that Rosario and Jimenez are not all-star talents. I think we can we can say that safely now. Maybe, maybe you leave a little room for Jimenez to take off if the the talent age-wise starts to catch up to the level because he's always been young for the level, but. I think we could safely say that. Um, so there's still no long-term answer at shortstop. I don't think either of those guys answered the questions. I don't know if bringing both of those guys in really gave them any chance to answer the question. Um, it still ended up being really weird. They didn't stick with Rosario in center long-term. Maybe that was because Jimenez couldn't hit, but I don't know. Um, the other part of the trade obviously we're not going to know for a couple of years is Josh Wolf and Isaiah green. Um, I, I was honestly, I know he was young and he only, he's only pitched one. Gosh, did he even, he didn't even pitch in 2020 or not 2019. Did he, he was picked in 2019, but he barely, okay. He pitched eight innings in 2019. So I guess I shouldn't have expected a lot from Josh Wolf, but um, I don't know. I, I was not overly impressed with him when I saw in video last year, I guess. But maybe maybe the expectation shouldn't have been super high, considering he had eight innings at the age of eighteen in twenty nineteen rookie ball and obviously missed a year. What um, from what you saw in video, Willie? What um, 
What did you take away from the Josh Wolf part of the trade last year? Struggles with control. Um, you know, I, I looked at his numbers too, and he was unpredictable. As in, he could strike guys out, but he also walked a lot of guys. Um, I wonder if that's going to continue to be a thing for him. I um, I understand, or I read somewhere that he had did some velocity training when he was with the Mets and there was a feeling that he had lost some of that control because he spent so much time focusing on adding velocity that he wanted to touch 96, 97. And, you know, if I remember right, he hit 95, 96 last year. Um, there's potential there. It may end up coming out of the bullpen uh, if his control doesn't improve, but he still is only 2021. 20, um, a younger guy, slender frame. Um, he's somebody I liked but didn't think Cleveland would draft. Interesting that they went for him. Apparently maybe they liked his stuff and wanted to bring him in, but he was a second round draft choice for a reason. So I do think there's some arm talent there and he'll have to harness that stuff. I'm curious if he restarts at Lynchburg next season, or if he gets the bump up to Lake County, especially with all these college arms coming in um, that might give them time and patience to develop him at Lynchburg again next year. Yeah, the control definitely stood out for me. Um, I think it's a two-pitch mix, really. I, I didn't see a whole lot from the changeup. The curveball and the fastball were, were good at times. I think he's got some <clears throat> some good characteristics with both. But, yeah, he's super young, and I uh, it's going to be tough. It's, you know, this, this organization is so good at developing pitching, but at the same time they have so much pitching right now to try to develop that – I think he kind of get, gets lost in the pack, and I think he ends up being, I don't know, I'm not going to say he's going to end up a reliever because he's only 21 years old, but um, definitely expected to see him in Lake County in 2022, and you're right. I don't know if they will. I think that he I think you got to push him to the Carl College arms some more time. Him. I mean, just, just out of sheer age alone, I put Gavin Williams, Doug McKaysey, mm-hmm. Tommy Mace, all three of them in the Lake County rotation right now. You know, and, and – as I've said before, I think I think um, Williams could start in Double A. He's that good. I don't think Cleveland will do that. And I think Tommy Macy's almost twenty three years old, or will be right at the edge of being twenty three years old. I think he he will move very quickly as well. Um, and then you have other guys in the organization already, like Hunter Gaddis, that are ahead of him, and Mason Hickman, that mm-hmm. were brought in in the last few years that are going to clog the starting rotations ahead of him, so to speak. Um, no slight on them and their talent because I do like a, a few of those guys, but I did, I think he's kind of caught in that. And if he will slow down and work on what he's been given, you know, repeating his stuff, I, I don't know. Maybe it was one of those things where, Hey, we, we want to see you develop that change up because we feel like it could be an, an everyday average every day. It could be an average pitch. Um, <laughs> I don't know if he wants to pitch or throw that pitch every day or not, though. <laughs> well, at least once every five days, he's going to need it. At yeah, some and a little, yeah. little uh, a few yeah, bullpens in between. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, again, he's only 20. He'll pitch all season this year at age 21, and he's only thrown, you know, a little over 70 innings in his pro career with missing 2020, obviously. And So last uh, year he would have been barely at, pitching in 2019. You know, if, if it had been – Pre-COVID, he would have been at Mahoning Valley, essentially. Yeah, and exactly. he's kind of pitching above his head, so to speak, which is good and bad. You know, um, I think with the depth that they have, because of the college players that they drafted and, and very college-heavy arm draft last season, I, I do think that you know you can take your time and develop him because of his age, and because there's upside there too. I, I do believe that he could be a starting pitcher at some point. But his control is going to have to improve. Last year, I think he was in the below average range. You know, guy with what about four point five walks per nine? That's that's in the below average yeah, range. You know, he needs to bring over. that down to three and a half, and and he's still, you know, getting around average to fringe average. But somebody carrying a four point five per nine, or even above four, you're looking at reliever territory. Uh, I do think the fastball and the curveball, the curveball, I've seen some people say, I think, uh, plus potential. 
um, looked good when the video, in the video that I saw of him, but I didn't see him in person, you know? So, uh, and I'm not driving to Lynchburg from my house to see him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Neither, neither am I. That's why I'm hoping he gets to Lake County this year. But like you said, there's a lot of college age pitchers from the last draft that need to get moved up. So yeah, I just think that it's going to be tough for him to crack the, you know, into the pack of how many good pitchers they have. So we'll see. He's, He's super young. There's still a lot of time, but um, definitely did not. I Like you said, he might have been over his head. He was trying to hold water, and um, I'd say he took his lumps last year. It was a learning year for him, and uh, yeah, no reason to write him off, but I definitely – I think we're hoping for a little bit more. And my understanding is because of the kind of arms so. they identify. And he, and yeah, work, smart so. kid. He's, he's got a – he's got a great – I mean, I haven't talked to him personally, but on social media he seems very engaging and – um, seems like a really nice kid. So I can, I'm sure there won't be, you know, a whole lot of issues there, but Hey, it's a competitive organization for pitching. So good problem to have. you have to be smart and you have to be willing. Yeah. It's a good problem to have, but if you're a pitcher, man, you better, you better keep up, you know, there's a lot to compete with and that's what they want out of their pitchers. They want guys who compete with each other. So um, it's going to be a tough task for him, but uh, I don't really have much to say on Isaiah green, to be honest. I mean, we've seen a little bit of video out there on social media and YouTube, um, you know, walked a lot last year, which is certainly good for a kid his age. But at the end of the day, that's complex level stats. And, you know, he showed some speed. He showed a little bit of pop, not a lot, honestly. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's complex league stats. I would say he didn't, he certainly didn't disappoint. It's not like he was overmatched at the com- complex league level, which is good. But um, he didn't force the, their hand you know. either and make them call him up to Lynchburg, which was disappointing to me. Um, he was a second mm-hmm. round draft choice by the Mets. Uh, somebody I had just outside of the top fifty going into the draft. Um, you know, sometimes, and he was an older high school player. Uh, interesting that Cleveland would have had interest, but they they. Again, they didn't pop him. And then Wolf was an older high school player entering the draft, and Cleveland didn't pop him either. But obviously they had interest in both, acquiring them. Wolf, I think, a a year and a half, two years later, and then Green a year later from when they were drafted. Um, Talent there, I think he can hit maybe an average above average bat. I don't think he's going to be spectacular. We'll see where he goes. Apparently they're going to take their time with him. He's got a few guys that have surpassed him. PD helping got to throw PD helping out there when I can mention him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. PD helping, even though he didn't play in any official games when he was in um, Arizona, you know, just part of extended spring training when, when their season was about to start, they sent him to Lynchburg before, before the ACL started and Isaiah Green stayed there. So Petey Halpin did force the issue and uh, he more than held his own at Lynchburg and Green was fine in the complex league. He did just fine. He didn't do bad, but yeah, you're right. He didn't force their decision, but Petey Halpin did and he rewarded them. So and then you got um, Luis Durango Jr. too, you know, who is a very talented center field prospect. So Green's going to have to vie for his position in center field or, or end up possibly sliding over to left field some too. Yeah. So I would say that, uh, I don't know. It, obviously the trade's still incomplete a year later. To me, the biggest takeaway is this. It's not, it's not, um, it's not who they got back from the trade. It's not how the trade went down. You know, obviously Lindor got his contract with the Mets and they didn't make the playoffs this year or last year with him. And he went through some struggles on the field and, uh, in the headlines, obviously, you know, being in a big media market and uh, all, all, the, all the things that come along with that. But the biggest takeaway for me from this trade is how it spurred other things for the franchise. You know, I, I think before the Lindor trade, everybody knew <clears throat> they were probably going to trade him or not resign him. I think we got, we figured out by 2019 he was not going to resign. So it was going to be a trade or he was going to walk. And the two, okay, I have two takeaways then. The one takeaway is this. Someone um, brought this up on Twitter today that, you know, if they had, if they had decided to let him play out 2021 and let him walk 
they would have just gotten draft pick compensation. But, you know, with the lockout head, maybe, maybe <clears throat> Chris Antonetti and, and Mike Chernoff anticipated um, a strike in 2021 because of the expiring CBA. You know, who knows if he would have signed before the lockout this winter. You know, they would have been, and, and, and the new CBA comes back and there's no draft pick compensation tied to free agents. You know, then they're left with nothing, right? So maybe the trade is a little bit of hedging their bets, which, you know, even if the trade is underwhelming, it's still incomplete at this point. But, you know, I think they kind of hedged their bets that way. So maybe they had some foresight to do that. Um, they would have obviously gotten more if they traded him after 2019. Obviously, they did not. They couldn't predict a, a pandemic. They could predict the lockout possibly without the pandemic. Um I think that they were honestly extending him to, um, you have Paul Hoynes throwing out a number. I think it was 225, 250. Um, John Heyman threw out 250. Um, I think the athletics said over 200 million. So to me, that was a serious commitment on Cleveland's behalf. Uh, Cleveland being a smaller market Mm -hmm. than New York. And to me, the money in New York is different than it is in Ohio because of tax rates and all of that. So you know, obviously there's the opportunity to um, merchandise your name, so to speak, a little bit and, and take advantage of that. But, you know, I I wonder because of that potential um, willingness to extend Lindor, is there a willingness to, to do the same with Jose Ramirez? You would hope, and then obviously David Blitzer factors into that now, Absolutely. and they might have a short window to do that when that happens. But I think I think the other thing to look at from this trade is not necessarily the trade itself, but <clears throat> I think if fans kind of realized he wasn't staying no matter what, um, the, I think the inclusion of, of Carrasco definitely made things look a little bit worse. But even so, um, I think what the trades kind of spurred is that now that there was a whole lot of goodwill before, I think fans are, you know, even if it's, um, <clears throat> I don't know, even, even if it's the, the loud minority or, or the fans that just aren't really paying attention as much as other fans, um, don't trust the franchise to keep its best players. And they want, you know, whether it's through free agency or trades, by the time they finish their, um, you know, league mandated, um, years with the club, you know, the club control years. I think what it's done, I think it's given more fuel to the fire about a Jose Ramirez trade, because look, you and I can sit here and say, or, and there are fans on Twitter too, who say, you know, it makes no sense when the trade Ramirez, uh, they're not going to do it. It's unlikely The I think we've seen the proposals and, and other people saying, well, they're just going to trade Ramirez because they just traded Lindor. So why wouldn't they just trade Ramirez? I think <clears throat> the Lindor and the Carrasco trade, has given more fuel to the fire for people to believe it's possible, even if the logic isn't quite there, if you really, you know, look hard enough. But I think what it's done is it's given more, more credence and more voice to those fans who think it's possible. Uh, even if it's not, I think that's the real problem it creates. It's not necessarily that it's, it's a bad trade or a good trade that it's, it's affecting how the fan base and other, other people see the franchise and how they deal their situation with Jose Ramirez. I think that's kind of what has been my takeaway a year later. Definitely. And and when you see that they've moved guys like Trevor Bauer, uh, Mike Clevenger, Corey Kluber, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Carrasco, and they have a history of moving other guys in the past. Um, You know, Jake Westbrook, Westbrook. (laughs) He changed his name (laughs) just because I couldn't pronounce it for some reason. Um, Jake Westbrook, you know, so there's a history of, of doing this with Cleveland. Victor Martinez is another guy that comes to mind. Um, I, I understand that, but I also think that you have to understand the nuance of what's going on with an organization and look at the fact that the last two years, they did not receive any, um, um, any of the additional revenue from the league, you know, they would normally get. And when you factor that in, I think last year was the bottom out, not necessarily a rebuild or I think 
Chris Antonetti said that it was reimagining the organization. That's one way to spin it or that's one way to say it. But to me, that was never even a rebuild. I think with the pitching that they have, that they would have been competitive had not they had the injuries that they did last season. And nobody can predict those things. Um, it does it does give some credence to people saying, well, are they going to move Mark or are they going to move Ramirez? And frankly, stop, step back for a second, take a breath and look at the situation. You're branding (laughs) a new brand in a controversial situation with the fan base and you want to win over your fans, but you also want to win back some of the fans who some of the never guardian fans, so to speak. Um, you want to be able to win them back by producing exciting baseball and see if you can get some of these people back to the park. And I think that one way you do that is showing that willingness to extend a player. I think David Blitzer is a huge key to that. Um, but also with merch sales from the brand, you know, they they have had a bump and Antonetti indicated at one point in time that they, had actually sold more merchandise than they expected to. That's a good thing to hear. That's good fan support right away. Um, maybe their expectations were low. <laughs> I don't know, but um, yeah, all of it is there. There's a lot pointing in the right direction, but ultimately, Jose Ramirez has to want to stay in Cleveland too. He he may get the same the same offer from Cleveland mm-hmm. that he gets from Houston or the Angels or whoever as a free agent or, you know, in the future and say, Hey, I want to go there because I have family there or or whatever the case is, you know, um, there are more things than money in, in players' minds that impact their decisions to move or to leave an organization. Yeah, that's true. And, and supposedly Ramirez has said he wants to be here. That's what we've yep. seen. So we'll find out. But, and I actually believe that. Um, I think he does. And I think the organization honestly does too. It's going to come down to, will the m- numbers make sense for both sides? And, um, you know, as I said earlier, Jose Ramirez has that value on the field, kind of like Cookie Carrasco did, that he he means mm-hmm. more to Cleveland than he does to the Toronto Blue Jays or to the New York Yankees or, or whoever it is, you know, that would like to have him. And I would like to think that every organization in baseball would like to have him, but you know, Oh, there's no doubt, but it shows you one, one extension of a player can turn that around. You know, that right now the, the sentiment has been this way for a while. And I think that the, this trade made it worse, but I I think think one extension can really change that. If anything, you're, Cleveland's cheap and they're not going to resign players. And those people think that they have more credence because Cleveland hasn't done an extension with player, but there also has to be a willingness on the player's behalf to make or to sign with Cleveland. And which clearly wasn't there for Lindor. Yeah, frankly, I don't think Lindor wanted to stay in Cleveland. I, I think he had bright lights in big city on his mind and that's my opinion. And that's all it is. I don't have facts or, anything behind that just that was my opinion then and that wasn't that's my opinion now and I kind of threw that out there before he was ever dealt that he was already one foot out the door um but he did get he did get the the contract he yeah. was seeking you know so I will say obviously I can't blame him it was you know I get it it was about the money he got the money <laughs> right yeah no I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't turn that down either but <clears throat> he didn't I mean if the if Cleveland had given him the same contract, would he have stayed here? We don't know. Obviously, they're never going to. But he got the contract he wanted. He didn't test for agency. He did. He did sign an extension before hitting for agency. So you give him that. Um, so that kind of wraps that up. I, I we went longer on that topic than I thought we were going that to. That was a whole fine. podcast itself. Um, <laughs> it, it truly was. Which you know, it, it was a big trade. It's it's probably one of the. I mean. The Corey Kluber trade probably deserved a whole podcast itself. And if I think back to it, I think when we had, um, gosh, who was I doing podcasts with that time? Mike or Jake? I don't know. I know we had a whole Was it huh? Mike or Jake? No. Um, gosh, who, who was podcast? Oh, you know, it was Mike. It was Mike. You're right. Mike, Mike and I did, uh, the podcast on the Kluber trade. It was pretty much a whole, a whole podcast. So 
Yeah, that makes sense why it was a whole podcast. Um, we have a lot of questions. I know you wanted to talk about the July 15th signing period and the draft, but uh, the only, I'll say this. The only two guys in that list I'm interested in, they're only only two guys on the list we can see. Um, next this week are uh, – is it Jason? Is, I, is, is Jason Chorio? Is that how you said yeah, that Jason name? Jason Chorio and think? Victor Isturiz. Victor Isturiz. It's because it should. Um He's yeah. from the Isturis bloodline. I can't remember the exact relationship there, uh, but he trains with Mesa and Cesar. Uh, he's their nephew. Okay. That's the two big names on the international free agent market. Cleveland can sign international free agents starting July. I'm sorry. <laughs> starting January, January 15th. My brain has not been functioning tonight. Yes. You know, I switched to decaf in the evening. Don't you wish it was I'm going to blame it on that. <laughs> I wish it was July. For real. As long as we had some baseball and it was just yeah. before the draft, I'd be a very, very happy man. Right. Um, those are the two big names. There's there's rumors that there's uh, about 15 players or so that Cleveland will sign um, all of them position players, which kind of led me to some of the draft talk. But, you know, I think that's best saved for another time. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for Isturiz at least because I know I've seen some video and he can hit. It looks like and left-handed hitting catchers are always um of value and he looks like he has good defensive chops. And then Churio, you know, there's a lot of um ranges of outcomes, you know, he some people think he's going to grow into power and some think he's going to be a table setter type center field. He's got a very handsy swing, but those are the two guys that kind of lead the conversation. I mean, he's he's got above average speed, which is kind of tweener speed. So I, I call him a tweener, and mm-hmm. I think he can definitely play right field. We'll see what his body grows into. I mean, he's 6'2", 165 already as a 16-year-old. So, you know, he may he may be like young Kenzie Noel and Alex Free Plainez and outgrow center field. Um, we shall see. I'll throw out another guy, that Yankee Bautista, uh, a shortstop from the Dominican, a guy that's expected to receive around a million dollars, and then the other two are expected to exceed a wow. million dollars. So Cleveland bringing in three guys in the million dollar range. Those three will be the three to know from the class, so to speak, but there's some other talented players there too. Um, if you watch the video that have been online and you can find some on YouTube and um, Chorio has some video on perfect game, definitely encourage people to check that out. Chorio is also listed over yeah. on Fangraphs big, big board on the international page there. Uh, he is in the top 50. And if you look really closely at number 17, You'll see Welbin Francisca, a shortstop who is expected to sign with Cleveland mm-hmm. next year. Uh, very, very fast. I think 70, 80 grade speeds that he's put out already. Um, number 17 overall player in all of international free agency, according to Fangraphs. And Chorio is in the top 50. And this includes some of your best international players in the world, not just your 16 year olds, your 18 year olds. Right. And hey, it's not all shortstops either. We just talked about a catcher, an outfielder. I know you said Welvin Francisco is a shortstop, but uh, Churio is an outfielder and, and Asturias is a catcher. Mm-hmm. So we keep saying they just keep signing international shortstops, but this is not all shortstops. And uh, as we've seen the last couple of years, Cleveland has done a good job injecting life into their system with a couple things. Um, international hitters, college pitchers, and high school hitters. So they clearly have a type and um, – they do and they do it well. Yeah, they're still even. They're still young for the class. Yeah, that's one thing going over our rankings. You know, um, how how young the entire organization is, and we could talk a whole another podcast on all of this stuff. Um, probably right. should in the future, but that's one thing that I, I really yeah. grabbed my attention. We'll have time. Yeah, we'll have time to do that. I'm sure uh, it's January, and there's the two sides haven't talked in a lockout in forty days. There's two so sides. There's going to be time to do that. <laughs> yeah. Those two sides that we're, we're locked. I, I thought there yeah. was one side. Uh, <clears throat> there's the, the only side is the losing side, and that's us. Yeah, the, the ones that matter, <laughs> the fans. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. was ready to give up on baseball altogether uh, yesterday, you know. So I mean, there's that. Uh huh. I know. Blame Jared for sending that depressing article. Uh, that's what I say. Um, it's all Jared's fault. May, maybe next week we just talk about those guys. It, it always blame Jared. That's what we should go back to when things go bad. Blame Jared. 
Let's uh, let's run through these questions quickly. You, you good with that? Sounds good to me. Rapid fire, baby. Let's go. Rapid fire. We've got a lot of them. Thanks for all your questions this week. Really appreciate the people's interest in, in asking us questions and listening to the podcast. And we try to answer all of them. I don't think we've never not answered one. So, all right, let's start. Uh, ben Gardner. If the organization enters 2022 with Rosario, Jimenez, Arias, Rokio, Tina, and Freeman all part of the organization, where do you see these players starting the season? Where do you see them ending? Will they split time in different positions? Willie, uh, Rosario. Let's let's go one by one. Rosario, and let's be quick about this. Rosario will be the starting um, shortstop for Cleveland and traded midseason, my opinion. Boom. Okay, I agree with Willie on that one. Um, Jimenez. Starts the season in Cleveland and eventually slides over to shortstop and gets a taste there. I agree. Starts at second, moves over to short when Rosario's traded. Arias. Ooh, tough one. He could be traded. I think they hold him and figure out what's going on with Jose first. I agree. I think he'll spend most of the year in AAA, but he'll get a taste of the major leagues. But he will play uh, more than just shortstop. <clears throat> I will, we'll see Arias make his debut this year. Rokio. He will be in Akron. You, you just got too much depth up above him, but I think he'll be in Akron, and I think he's potentially mm-hmm. the future at shortstop for the organization. I agree with that. Starts the year in Akron at shortstop. He'll play all over a little bit too. And then um, I think if Arias gets a shot at, at Cleveland at some point, he'll move up to AAA. Uh, Jose Tena. Akron and potential trade piece midseason to next offseason. I agree with that. I think Tina's trade value is just starting to come up a little bit. And I think once he has a good year at Akron this year, he becomes a really valuable trade piece. And I agree, someone they might move. All right, Tyler Freeman. This is a tough one. <laughs> I, I don't know if he'll be in um, Columbus or not. I would start him in Columbus, especially after the way that he hit. Uh, don't want to block Tina mm-hmm. and Rocchio. So I'm going to say he starts in Columbus and he rotates between second, third, and shortstop with Arias rotating those positions. And maybe Arias will get a taste in right field or something too. Yeah, I agree. It's hard to find enough playing time for all these guys at the positions they're normally playing. So I would say you have to be aggressive. Even though you miss half the season, you have to put them in, in Columbus. All right. Which of those guys we just talked about are going to be in the organization by 2025? I'm going to say Rokio and Freeman are here in 2025. Rosario Jimenez and Tina and Ari are – okay, yeah. Arias, Rosario, Jimenez, and Tina are not here in 2025, but Rocchio and Freeman are. Agreed. Man, that's tough. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that was from Hollister comment to commercial. Hollister commercial. Uh, he also wants to know how concerning is George Valera's uh, strikeout rate. I'm going to say only mildly concerning because he has struck out a little bit in the past, but um, he was 20 and he was in double A and it was only – 100 at plate appearances, so not concerned that much. Um, ask me again in June, I would say. What do you think? I am not concerned with concern. I'm not concerned with his concern rate. <laughs> <laughs> his concern rate? Okay. That's good. You're not concerned with his concerns. Well, well I mean, I'm a we selfish like guy. What can I say? But no, I'm not concerned with the strikeout rate. Not in double A, not in a late season taste. Not when he's so young, and I think there's, I, I think his walk rate shows his strike zone awareness. So I'm not concerned. He's definitely going to get challenged, but he's very, very young, and I think he's very, very capable of adjusting too. I agree. All right, we got a couple from our man Hiram. Let's let's try to do these quickly too. Uh, what would be a fair offer for Alejandro Kirk? I'm going to say nothing because I don't want Alejandro Kirk. I don't think he's a catcher. So yeah, I, I mean, don't think Cleveland should have any interest. Offensive-oriented backstop. If the new CBA immediately brings robo-umps, maybe they have interest. Cleveland reportedly had interest in Kirk in the past. Who knows who is throwing that out there? So there's that. Cleveland has gone with defensive-oriented types before. I have banged the drum repeatedly that Cleveland needs a long-term piece or a long-term fixture at catcher, whether that be a long-term um, backup or a long-term starter. Um, I think they'll go mm-hmm. after somebody like Danny Jansen or, or 
another route, somebody that can help fill in for more than one season. If they don't mm-hmm. even extend, I mean, maybe they extend Austin Hedges for a year or two. Um, that may sound crazy to some people, but he's an excellent defensive catcher. And you have two guys in the minors who have a lot of questions whether they stay at catcher. So there's that. Um, yeah. Um, do you expect the Guardians to be aggressive with Gavin Williams? Yeah, I think we both think that he'll be in Akron pretty quickly. Yeah, right? I say four or five starts in Lake County. Frankly, I think he could start the season in Akron. I think he's that good, and I think he's going to press Daniel and spin up for the number one pitching prospect in the organization. Yeah, I would say skip the starts in Lake County. Honestly, I think he's ready for yeah, it, and I, I think I with his age, I mean, you just do it. I, I said that whenever they drafted him, that he's good enough to start in, in Akron. I don't think they'll do that. I mm-hmm. think they'll want to build him up slowly in Lake County and then just bump him on up. Hope that's what they do. Uh, he wants to know, do you think it's imperative they trade Ahmed Rosario like he does? Yes, I think we just talked about that, that he needs to go by the, the midway point of the season because hopefully that means somebody else is forcing their hand and they have a better option. That's what we hope. Um <laughs> Can't go a higher in question that Yu Chang. If Chang hits like he has, do you think it's viable to put him at first base full time? No, because he is never going to hit as good as a first baseman needs to. Simple as that. Anything to add there on Yu Chang? I want to see Cleveland trade for Matt Olson. For Matt Olson. Um, so I could care yes. less about Yu Chang at this point. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. No, I do like I do like Chang, and I have for years. I I appreciate Hiram's. Love for baseball and his love for Yu Chang. Yes, but as far as first baseman goes, it is Bobby Bradley, Nolan Jones, Matt Olson, or bust. Or until Deion Kenzie Noel is is ready, if he gets ready. Um, if Nolan Jones has a big year, do you think the Guardians will be okay starting in the outfield? Um, I don't know. They just haven't been committed to playing him in the outfield, so it's hard to say what they're going to do. Um, they have not been committed to moving him around. That's that's the only problem I have is they just have not been committed to letting him play more off of third base. If they if they show they're willing to do it, then yeah, I think they will. But right now they're very conservative on letting him play elsewhere. That's all I can really say. Yeah, I, I then think Nunzio is. A, I think they're trying to be conservative with Jones um, in that they want to be careful whether they move him off of third base because they want to clarify the situation with Jose Ramirez first. Um, I think that's why he's going to continue to play and develop at third base because they need to figure out what's going on with Jose first. So, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to know about the updates on Jones's uh, recovery and his ankle injury. I think he'll be ready for spring training. If not, it'll be well. Depends on when Major League Spring Training starts because he's part of the forty-man roster, so he may get some time. He may get an extra week to recover beyond. Yeah, so we'll see. I think I think all suggestions where he'd be ready if it was if they're ready to play um, normal spring training. Uh, Nunzio is a want to know barring trade. Does Zimmer get a last look like Jake Bowers? And if no one is brought in, can you platoon Zimmer and Mercado, knowing that Oscar hasn't played much right field or Quan and Mercado? I would say if they don't make a trade, yeah, Zimmer gets one last look. I think there's still enough there to give him one more chance. He at least did enough last yep. year. Um, I I would love to see Stephen Kwan any platoon. I don't care. I don't think he needs a platoon partner, but I'd love to see Stephen Kwan no matter what they do. But yeah, I guess that's going to matter what they do with, with Zimmer if they're going to get him up here. Um, oh, here's a good question. You'll like this. Nunzio Izzo asked if um, if we had placed Carlos Vargas in our top 10 rankings by position that we've done so far, which we've done relievers, lefties, righties, as far as starters, uh, center field. And um, yeah, that's all we've done so far today with center field. Would, where would Vargas have been ranked? I would, I would have Vargas number one, actually, if, if we had ranked him as a reliever in this series. If he was a reliever in the top 10, is that what you're referring to? Yeah. The top 10 by position. Yes. Um, my mind went to my personal rankings where he was at in that and how that would affect that, um, how I quantify it. It wouldn't change his ranking at all. Uh, my expectation is high setup. So I I went with that projection for him when I ranked him in my, you know, my top 60, 70, whatever, how many ever guys I ranked. Um, 
I think he's a high setup man. And I think he's the number one relief option in the system right now, um, ahead of uh, Nick Mikulovic. Yeah, we both thought that we would see Carlos Vargas last year if he was healthy. So hard to hard to get better than that. Who is your best guess at who gets Salsa Nunzio? Is it who is your best guess that gets extended top two? Um, and who do you expect to go the Lindor route out of Cleveland? I don't know. Extension, it's hard to say. Maybe. If I had if I had to really bet on one person getting an extension, I'm going to say Franmil Reyes. I was going to say Franmil Reyes maybe and Austin Marshall. Hedges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Austin Hedges is not going to be a, a headliner extension, but yeah, I agree. Hedges and may- maybe Franmil Reyes. I, I, I do think they're motivated <laughs> out of to keep him around because of what I laid out earlier. Hmm. Yeah, they almost have to at this point. Um, too early prediction. Who opens with the Guardians? Palacios or Quan? I would say neither. They don't take rookies out of spring trading, so I would say neither. I know it's a, a cop out, but they well, don't take rookies out of spring Justin, training. They who, just don't. Who makes it to the big leagues first? Palacios or Quan? Ooh, um, wow, that's tough. I'm going to say Stephen Quan. I think he has a better chance to be a better hitter. I can agree with you. I think it's going to be about positional need, and I think Palacios' ability to move over to second base um, could open up an opportunity if, as we expected, um, Gimenez takes over shortstop and Rosario is traded. We could see Palacios in at second and maybe um, Samoan Miller in there too, but I think Palacios could beat Quan to the punch there. But ultimately, I think Quan will be the player who debuts in Cleveland first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Palacios offers a little more utility upside too. All right. Here's a good question to end the podcast on. Cause this is tailor made for you, Willie. Um, and it, this is going to be, I know, I know what your answer is going to be already. What position or positions do you see where the guardians need to focus on in the draft in international signings? When you look at the current state of the farm system, catcher. <laughs> yeah, well, catcher number one. I thought you were going to say best player available and then figure it no, out later because no, well, that's usually what they honestly, do. But... <laughs> and I've said this before. I'm a pitcher. Um, I'm a pitcher first type of guy. If there's an equal bat mm-hmm. and an equal pitcher, take the pitcher. Um, Cleveland did that last year. I think you'll see more of that play out. I don't think you can really focus on position rather than, but I think you have to focus on. Um, who the best player is though, Justin, you're, you're right about that. I think who the best player is, but who the best player is for Cleveland and how they fit Cleveland's system, how they develop talent, those things Cleveland will look for. Um, you can't just, well, that's why they're getting Victor as tourists in the international signing period. And like you said, for all these pitchers, they need catchers. Yeah. Well, and they signed two guys in as undrafted free agents last year. So it kind of showed either how they viewed those catchers, or mm-hmm. how much that they uh, value pitching. And, and I think that's a lot of it there is the value placed on pitching. Um, but I'll also throw in that, you know, they lean toward bats in the, in the high school market and in the international market, and they've leaned heavily towards college arms. Last year, obviously taking 19 out of 21 selections as, as college arms, I think he'll still see a, a pretty balanced draft next year. Your international class, if you believe everything that's on Twitter or on the internet, it looks like that's all position players for now, but you will see some pitchers added to that. They'll just be lower bonus type of players. They tend to go with more lotto ticket type arms because they want to put that revenue or they want to put that resources into guys that they feel like um, offer a more sure thing. Not that there's a sure thing with any 16-year-old, but it's by their system, it's more predictable that a position player is a safer bet to develop over a pitcher. And that's why they do that. Um, But I don't think you can really focus on one position. I do think this is a great year for them to add a couple of uh, catchers in the draft, though. I have already been looking, Mm -hmm. and to me, there's probably 20 top 200 catchers and possibly 30 top 300 uh, catchers that I consider draftable. Now, all of them don't fit Cleveland's 
criteria as far as defense and all of that. But there are a lot of them that will and do and that are very interesting. Um, Brady Neal is one in high school that I think fits. They, they drafted Jonathan French and could possibly redraft him. Hayden Dun- I was just going to say Jonathan French. Uh, Hayden Dunhurst is one that stands out. Logan Tanner is another. If Daniel uh, Susak is, is there or even Kevin Parada, I think they have to consider drafting those guys at 16 in the first round if they're there um, because they can catch, but they're also excellent bats that should move pretty quick too. So. Yeah, there are, there are some good ones. It's going to be a good draft this year. I'm looking forward to that. And um, I liked, I like talking about the draft because you and, and Jared have such enthusiasm for it and it's, it's spurred my enthusiasm for it. But I am really hoping sometime in the next month we can talk about uh, a trade or Matt Olson. <laughs> a, 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 yeah, or Matt Olson, a free agent, a free agent signing or or prospects or something like I. I just want to slow things down a little bit and have and enjoy what the offseason normally is like. But no, the draft's going to be fun. I'm sure we'll do a lot of podcasts on the draft, and I think next week we can really kind of dive into the international. Uh, market if we if we yeah, want once we to. see I mean, some names out there officially um you know we'll have that the international period opens up on saturday the 15th and all of these kids i think are eligible to play this summer um if i'm understanding that right because this has been delayed all of these players would have been signed in july of last season and would have deb- debuted this summer so same thing they'll debut this mm-hmm. summer in dominican league or in arizona as Cleveland sees fit to assign them out. Yeah, there's that. And we didn't, we, there's a couple of things we didn't get to today. So we have uh, enough left over for another podcast next week. So we are always finding stuff to talk about. Um, as always, if you got to this part of the podcast and if you are not following myself or Willie, that's crazy. But if you're not, it's uh, W I L L H O O nine, nine on Twitter or jail underscore baseball on Twitter or official underscore CGBI on Twitter, Cleveland Guardians Baseball Insider, and Cleveland Guardians Baseball Insider.com. Willie, thanks for taking the time to do this with me today, and uh, this is a good one. Let's uh, let's reconvene next week. I know we've got a lot to tackle the rest of the week, uh, the prospect rankings and all that. But, uh, yeah, let's reconvene and do this again next Sounds week. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for listening, and we will uh, catch you again soon. Thanks for the questions.